Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here today. Well, last week, as we finished reading the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian Christians, he gave further instruction about what a sanctified church made up of sanctified people looks like. In verses 16 through 18, he gave three specific commands. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got great room for growth in all three of those areas. I'm often more pessimistic than joyful. I can be a procrastinator when it comes to prayer. And my level of thankfulness tends to ebb and flow depending on what's happening around me on any given day. So how can people like us be consistently joyful, prayerful, and thankful in our current day and age? Now, part of the reason I ask that question is because, let's be honest, things don't always seem like they're going very well in our world. Optimism about our country's direction is low. The economy is recessing. We're constantly warned about COVID, monkeypox, climate change, nuclear conflict, and food shortages. We see the devastating effects of political corruption, systemic injustice, and social division. It's hard not to look around, see the shape our world is in, and even the shape that Christ's church is in, and feel a bit panicked, frustrated, and sad. With all of these challenges, dangers, and threats looming, how can we possibly obey Paul's command to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful? The Christians in Thessalonica could relate to our feelings of angst, This young, small, underdog church was facing persecution for their faith from the outside and battling false teaching inside. But even when things looked bleak, the believers in Thessalonica and the believers in this room this morning still have reason to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Because Paul reminds them and reminds us that something greater, someone greater, will soon arrive. Things may look bad. In fact, things might even get worse. But it won't be this way forever. Jesus Christ is coming. So open up to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take that Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. I pray that you would be with our hearts, be with our minds, remind us of the joy and the privilege that we have to come and sing these songs and to be with siblings in Christ to pray openly and vocally and know that you hear us. Thank you that we can come into your presence with confidence, not just when we're here in this building on Sunday morning, but 
Every hour of every day, we can approach you with confidence in prayer because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And Lord, thank you for, again, these great privileges that we partake of on Sunday morning that not every believer gets. Uh, Lord, we pray for other churches. We pray for believers across the world who don't have these privileges, uh, those who might even be suffering directly for their faith. Uh, I pray that you would watch over them. Give them strength, give them courage, give them relief, and ultimately give them reward for their faith. And Lord, I pray that you would reward us as well. Uh, It's tough to be a follower of Christ. Uh, It's tough to be a Christian at times. Uh, But Lord, you've given us everything we need to persevere, to endure in the faith, to run this race faithfully. And so I pray that you would help us do that and that This one Sunday morning in the middle of August 2022 would be yet another resource that you give us to strengthen us and encourage us to run our race well. Again, we love you. We thank you for your word, your church, your spirit, your son. We thank you that we can call you our father. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Thessalonians starts out a lot like 1 Thessalonians. Verse 1 tells us it's the same author and the same audience. In verses 3 and 4, Paul expresses how thankful he is for this church. He celebrates their growing faith and their increasing love. And he commends them for their steadfast example in the face of suffering. That all sounds familiar If you've been here the past few weeks. But then Paul shifts gears. In verses 5 through 10, he uses vivid language to describe how those who oppose God and oppose God's people will one day be judged. But in verses 11 and 12, Paul reminds the Thessalonians of their future reward. For now, their suffering proves their place in God's kingdom. One day, heavenly relief will come, and eternal glory awaits. So again, if you've been here for the past few weeks, this all sounds familiar. First Thessalonians was overwhelmingly positive, especially the first three chapters. And Second Thessalonians starts more or less the same way. And even the stuff that is a bit jarring, like the talk about judgment, that's not totally new. Paul discussed that back in 1 Thessalonians as well. But then just when you think that you're going to read the same sort of letter all over again, we get to chapter 2. And that's where things get wild in 2 Thessalonians. So, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, 
who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We saw back in Paul's first letter that some believers in this church were uninformed about death, resurrection, and Christ's return. Well, sadly, even after Paul had already offered them sound correction, that misinformation continued. Some people were teaching the Thessalonians perhaps by forging letters in Paul's name, that Jesus had already returned. Maybe it was at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Maybe Jesus' return was invisible, spiritual, or metaphorical. Or maybe he came back and you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Too bad. Sorry about your luck. Either way, this teaching that Jesus had already returned left the Thessalonians feeling not joyful, not prayerful, and not thankful like Paul commanded, but quickly shaken in mind and alarmed. So, like he did before, Paul sets the record straight about Christ's return. But this time around, he goes into much greater detail. Now, it's not hard to follow Paul's argument. He essentially says, look, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And you know how I know that's true? Because these two things haven't happened yet. First, Paul discusses a rebellion or an apostasy in verse 3. He's likely referring to some great, large-scale falling away of Christians from the faith or abandoning the church. And then second, Paul discusses this mysterious man of lawlessness in verses 4 through 11. We often identify this man of lawlessness with the person the letters of 1 John and the book of Revelation call the Antichrist. He claims to be God, rejects the true God's law, opposes God's people, and leads people astray to worship him. He does all of this with the blessing and the power of Satan himself. But Paul is convinced that these two things, 
the rebellion and the man of lawlessness haven't come yet. Therefore, the Thessalonians shouldn't worry that they have missed Jesus's return. They haven't. Now, naturally, a bizarre passage like this raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Of course, the biggest one, the question that Christians have debated for centuries, is this. Who is this man of lawlessness? Now, Paul does seem to have a specific figure in mind. And that seems to be the way that the book of Revelation discusses the Antichrist. And there have been countless theories over the years about who this man of lawlessness might be. Some people looked backwards in history and thought of the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes, who slaughtered a pig on the altar of Jerusalem's temple as the ultimate act of blasphemy and irreverence. Others thought it was Gaius Caligula, a Roman emperor who attempted something similar around 40 A.D. Many early Christians thought Nero was the Antichrist. He was the most famous persecutor of the church. Later believers thought Muhammad, the founder of Islam, was the Antichrist. Martin Luther thought the Pope was the Antichrist. Secular leaders like Napoleon, Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin were all thought at one time to be the Antichrist. But to some degree, all of those predictions appear to have been wrong. Why? Because Christ hasn't come yet. But while Paul does seem to have one particular figure in mind, And for the record, it probably doesn't do us much good to speculate about him. Paul also hints in verse 7 that in some ways, this man of lawlessness is already at work. John gets at the same idea. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. He writes, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. First John chapter four, verse two. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John seems to think that in some ways the Antichrist is already here, but in other ways he hasn't come yet. John also seems to think that the Antichrist is one person, but he also says there are many Antichrists. And it's worth noting that John seems to say You know, if you want to know who the Antichrist is, or who an Antichrist is, ask them about Jesus. See what they say. That's a good place to start. 
In a way, anyone who opposes God, persecutes his people, imagines himself to be God, rejects God's law, and denies God's Son can be seen as a kind of Antichrist. So in a sense, all those old predictions we just mentioned, people like Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin, weren't totally off base, were they? The mystery of lawlessness is at work in the Chinese authorities that shut down churches. It's at work in the religious extremists who behead Christians on beaches and take video of it. It's at work in the various attempts to marginalize biblical truth in our world, even if the people involved don't fully realize it. In some ways, the Antichrist hasn't come yet, as far as we know. But in some ways, he is already at work. But as real and as frightening as all this stuff might be, As real and as frightening as this rebellion and this antichrist sound. Paul tells the Thessalonians not to be quickly shaken. Not to be alarmed. Even through all their suffering now. Even through all the terrible things that will one day come. They still have reason to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Why? How? Because none of it is a match for Jesus. Things won't be this way forever. Christ is coming. Sure, things are hard now. And yes, it will get even uglier in the future. Paul warns Timothy about that in 2 Timothy 4. Sadly, some people will be led astray. The man of lawlessness, whoever he is, will have his day. Occasionally, it may appear that Satan wins some battles. But the forces of darkness do not win the war. Even over all of these awful events that we see happening in this fallen world, God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, and God is good, and Jesus is coming. That takes us to verse 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. All that stuff in verses 1 through 12 sounded pretty scary. But when you remember that things won't be like this forever... That Jesus is coming. And that God is sovereign, all-powerful, and good through it all. You don't have to be so quickly shaken. You don't have to be so alarmed. Instead, Christians can be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. 
Because God has graciously chosen us to be saved. God is sanctifying us by his spirit. We will obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. These promises are why and how we stand firm in our faith, hold fast to the truth, and find comfort, hope, and good cheer even when the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. We can be joyful, prayerful, and thankful through it all because we know who God is. We know what God has done. And we know what lies ahead. Like the Thessalonians were, the state of the world often leaves Christians like us feeling shaken and alarmed. We hear of churches closing, Christians deconstructing, and leaders falling. We worry that things have never been this bad before, and we think and hope and pray that surely Jesus is coming soon. But then another day passes. And another. And another. We grow discouraged, doubtful, and even bitter. As a result, we allow anger, fear, and sorrow to get the best of us. Cloud our judgment. And we may become susceptible to all kinds of false teaching, misinformation, and sin. The devil would like nothing more. But remember these promises. Remember that not even the man of lawlessness, not even Satan himself, stand a chance against our Lord. Remember who you are. Remember who God is and what he has done for you. And remember the reward that lies ahead of you. God is sovereign, all-powerful, and good. Even during the frightening and confusing events described in 2 Thessalonians 2, that is still true. Even during our day and age, with all the threats, dangers, and worries that we face, that is still true. God is sovereign, all-powerful, and good. Nothing that you're facing shocks him. Nothing that you're facing can separate you from his love. In the end, he wins, his enemies lose, and his people, you, me, and anyone else who trusts in Christ's broken body and shed blood are saved and will be saved. So take heart. Be at peace. Live faithfully. Things won't be like this forever. Because Jesus is coming. Now one quick qualifying statement. I'm not saying that Christians and churches never have anything to worry about. This sermon is not meant to tell you that as long as you believe in Jesus, you can just sit back, relax, and watch the fallen world burn while you drink a margarita. There are real problems that we Christians need to think about, pray about, and prepare for. And we would be foolish and naive not to. 
But this sermon is meant to tell you that you don't need to panic. Christians are not called to live in a constant state of fear, paranoia, anxiety, or anger. That can easily lead us down some dark roads and into some strange places. Rather, Christians can trust our sovereign, all-powerful, and good God, even when it seems like everything around us is crumbling. No matter what disaster, threat, or crisis comes next, we can live with confidence, courage, and cheer. And who knows? We may even find time for the joy, the prayer, and the gratitude that Paul commanded back in 1 Thessalonians. You know, there's much to celebrate and thank God for in our day and age. Antibiotics, running water, drastic reductions in worldwide poverty are all great things. But there's also much to worry about. There's reason to believe that things can and will get worse. A rebellion is coming. The man of lawlessness may be restrained for now, but he won't always be. In some ways, we may already see these mysteries at work. But do not be quickly shaken. Do not be alarmed. Rather, be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. For the reward waiting for you. And be confident that no matter how bad things may look now, or how bad they could get in the future, in the end, Jesus wins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage that we read this morning as strange and as confusing and as debated as it might be. You gave it to us for a reason, and it's not just to have arguments over. It's not just to draw up charts and propose different theories, but rather this passage is given for your people's comfort, your people's confidence, and even for our joy. So, Lord, I pray that we would have that comfort and that confidence and that joy that Paul talks about, even when things look bad, even when life is hard. I pray that we would be joyful, prayerful, and thankful through all the bad things that are happening around us at the moment, large scale, small scale, the big public crises that people worry about and the things affecting us individually that nobody else may know about and it may feel like nobody else cares about. Through all those things, you are good, you are sovereign, you are powerful, and we still have reason for hope. We still have reason for thanks, no matter what's happening around us, because we know how the story ends. We know that no matter how bad things get, you win. And we know that no matter how bad things get, we have an eternal reward in your presence. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us not be quickly shaken, not be alarmed. Rather, help us be faithful. 
Even when things are falling apart, help us be faithful. Help us be confident. Help us be courageous. Help us represent you well. And help us look forward to what you have in store for us by your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Find us faithful, Lord, when you return. We ask this all in Christ's name.